Yo, 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 welcome to a Tuesday solo show. You're listening to Abe Thompson and other disappointments. I'm Abe Thompson. The live show sold out. Pretty excited about that. Um, so, yeah, before we jump into today's show and rip and roast the goddamn news... I just wanted to say a quick thanks to all of you who managed to get tickets. Um, and if there's any sort of um, mechanism, any kind of, you know, seat wave or returns thing, you know, resell kind of vibe, um, obviously I will update you all on that in due course, uh, probably on Patreon, realistically. So if you're not following me on there, jump on that. Uh, it's patreon.com forward slash aid Thompson with an I-N on the end. Uh, it starts at £3 a month, so it's pretty cheap. Uh, and then that's it. You are injected into my cult. Uh, come join us. Join our little family with our Discord chat, our um, in-person meetups, where we get pissed and talk talk shit about Tories. Um, and you also get first look at the live shows and first listen to podcasts like this one. So yeah, that's all on patreon.com forward slash aid Thompson. Um, and indeed, may as well, you know, really labour the point. I'm usually findable on all of the other platforms as well under that name. I'm either at Aid Thompson or Aid Space Thompson with a, you know, little space in between. That's on Patreon, uh, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, uh, whatever, whatever your chosen conduit to time wasting and tedious twattery is. I'm probably on there. Uh, today, let's talk about British politics. Let's let's get back in the game here, shall we? Recently, I've been talking about some other bits. Um, there was an episode on AI, on automation, on uh, on what it's going to do to your job and uh, society and housing. So, if you if you bizarrely enjoy hearing depressing content that will leave you in tears, <laughs> possibly not in a good way. Like, if you enjoy the catharsis and empathy of knowing that someone else is just as terrified of the next decade as you are, if you like that more than, you know, core satire, uh, I don't know, maybe maybe check that episode out. That is uh, number 135. This one is 136, obviously. Um, but today is a politics show. So let's get back. Let's get back to the here and now, guys. So what's going on out there? Let's talk about what's going on out there. First up, strikes. There are strikes everywhere. Everyone's pushing for better pay, uh, pay and conditions. Everyone wants a pay increase to address the, uh, the what, uh, 12 years of the state gradually edging away their salary in real terms. And I've made this point before, and it, like I'll make it again. Um... Partly because it needs to be said and understood, but mostly because I've been awake since 4am and I am running dry creatively. So just fucking sit through this again, as I say. Here is the point. If you continue to ignore and disparage people when they're trying to make their concerns known, 
Those people, they don't just go, oh, well, I guess I'll just go and die and rot in a corner somewhere. Like, the problems don't just go away because you can't be asked to deal with them. People just switch tack. They regroup. They mobilise. And eventually, in situations like this, they erupt again, but in an industrial dispute kind of form, right? And if you continue to ignore and disparage, they will riot. That is the route. That is the trajectory (laughs) that they end up on. And it's not an unfamiliar trajectory, right? So nurses in 2009, right? Cast your mind back. Nurses in 2009 weren't fucking millionaires, were they? Obviously. They weren't popping magnums of moe in the clizzub. They were already underpaid for the work that they did. Or at least, you know, I never got the impression that they were rolling in it. But they had a salary. They had money coming in. Just not, you know, bank, right? They weren't working eight-hour days and pulling in 60 or 80 grand or anything. You know, it's sort of average income, I guess. And overworking to receive that. And then you take a decade of zero wage growth, miserly pay increases, you know, that fall way below inflation. Like rent in London went up by a third in those austerity years. I think it was about eight years that it increased by about 30%. And I'm not saying like everything is in London or we should always talk about London. Like I'm sure it's the same in in other big cities in the UK with big hospitals and, and so on. In fact, I know Manchester... Manchester has seen its rents go up by about the same amount in the last year. (laughs) Like, in 12 months, Manchester's rents have gone up by the same amount as London did in eight years. It is nutty. Anyway, so, then your rent goes up and food gets pricey and, you know... Your, your train fare to get in and out of the hospital or if you drive, then, you know, petrol prices. Like it was like, I think it was 127 pence a litre at the beginning of austerity, right? Somewhere around that. 127, 130 pence a litre in 2010, 2011. Now it's just under 160 pence a litre. But it did go up not long ago to 190 pence a litre, 195 pence a litre, uh, a BP down the road. So what's that? That's between a 30 and 45 percent increase in costs to fill up your car just to get from A to B, to get into the hospital and back. Right. Also, over this period of time, VAT has increased by like from 17.5 to is it 20 percent now? I forget. Plus all the other tax hikes that we've had. (laughs) It's just like life has just got so, so much more expensive for all of us. But, you know, bear in mind that in the NHS, for nurses, for junior doctors, when they're getting hit with these income tax hikes and VAT and, and all the rest of it, their salaries on a yearly basis are not being increased to reflect the changes in their cost of living. Okay. And that's before we even get into, like, fucking, you know, the cuts to nursing in general. You know? Binning the bursary. Asking 
seven nurses to do the work and hours of ten nurses. <laughs> so you can save money. So you can optimise. We're going to optimise the NHS, guys. No, oh, it's too many. We're going to trim the fat. It's too bloated. That's the problem. We're going to ask seven nurses to do the work of ten nurses. So it's optimal. And so, over the space of that time, they've constantly been saying, we need more money. You know, we need to pay nurses more so they can afford to keep coming into the fucking hospital. We have to stop nurses leaving the profession. That's a big thing. Enough of them retiring, but not being, you know, rehired at the other end. And in response to that, that, you know, DEFCON 2 siren flashing. Like, we've got to do something to keep nurses. They keep leaving. People are overworked. This old lady over here just died in a fucking stock cupboard. Like, all of that stuff. Sirens flashing. We have to do something. This is an emergency. Let's fix the NHS. In response to that, the government curated a deeply considered package of measures that included... First one. Completely ignoring the issues that were being raised. <laughs> that was the first attribute of this package of measures. The second one, demonise the nurses as lazy or money-grabbing. And then what would the third one be? The third one would be um, cutting off alternative staff supply in the context of Brexit. You know, because normally a bunch of nurses retiring or leaving because they're fed up or whatever... You could maybe seek to replace them with nurses coming in from, you know, Portugal or Italy or wherever. But now that tap has been turned off also. So obviously, look, we know the ignoring the issues stuff, right? The nurses raise the alarm. The government is supposed to listen. The Secretary of Health is supposed to go, oh, OK, cool. I'll, I'll look into it. Um, but obviously that, you know, they didn't listen. We know this. Like, cast, cast your mind back to, um, uh, do you remember the junior doctors disputes a few years ago? I spoke to uh, Dr. Julia Patterson about this on the podcast um, a few months back. And um, uh, if, you, if you get a chance, you should go back and listen to that episode because it's actually quite prescient now. In the episode, which I think we filmed in August-ish sort of time, maybe early September, she was like, I can see how bad this is going to get now. And she was like, I'm raising the alarm and no one is listening and things are going to get so bad in winter and everyone's going to be like, oh, was there anything that we could have done or what could we have done differently? And she's like, right now we could probably still do some things to save some li lives, but no one is listening. No one's taking it seriously. Anyway, now we are where we are. And it's just, oh, sort of leaves you reeling, doesn't it? But anyway, let's go back to that, the junior doctor thing, right? So they made their feelings known. As I said in the, you know, the example of being ignored. and They made their feelings known to Jeremy Hunt, who was health secretary at the time, when he was implementing changes to their contracts. The NHS staff at the time were like, well, hang on a second. If you change these contracts and make us work longer hours for effectively less money, patients are going to die. 
You know, patients are going to be on the rough end of this. We won't be able to see everybody. People are going to get left behind in corridors. They won't get seen. They won't get diagnosed. You know, care is going to suffer and it will cost lives. That is ultimately what is going to happen here. Overworking, underfunding. And I think from memory, wasn't it like... um, like he was he was like if you want specifics dear least dear listeners i think i'm right in saying he was trying to ban overtime between the hours of 7 a.m and 10 p.m right <laughs> think about that for a second from 7 a.m right through 12 hours to 7 p.m and then three hours on top up to 10 p.m all of that is considered just your standard working day i think in that context. That was what the issue was around. He was trying to ban overtime between those hours. So basically, you know, these guys would rock up. They would be forced to work, like to stay on extra hours and not get paid for it. And because such a chunk of their money came from overtime, because the Tories wouldn't actually let them hire the staff that they need. (laughs) So yeah, we're going to need couple more doctors on this board no but i mean you must know that we need them because you're paying out all of this over it would actually be cheaper for you if you just hired another couple of you know still no no ideologically no just i think that was the, the crux of it enough of their salary or their income was coming from overtime that by no longer categorizing it as overtime effectively amounted to a 40 percent pay cut somewhere around that region and anyway, as, as the doctors uh, rang this alarm bell and said, this is not good enough, this isn't going to work and patients will suffer, uh, the health secretary at the time, Jeremy Hunt, didn't listen and strikes happened then as well. So that was the first one. Ignored, issues raised, then it got to where it got to, right? So then we have the demonization of them. This is the second point of the deeply considered package of measures that the successive Tory governments have have unfurled. The demonisation of them as lazy and money grabbing. And this sort of thing is like, it's just so laughably transparent. You know, when they demonise them as lazy and money grabbing. Like, if they were really lazy and money-grabbing, I can think of two or three industries off the top of my fucking head that would be so massively better suited to them. If their personality type revolved around being lazy and (laughs) money-grabbing, the city of London would be a more natural home, I think, rather than Birmingham General or whatever. But anyway, let's put that to the side for a second. Like, the demonisation of them as lazy and money-grabbing, it's so, like, see-through. It's so, like... Like, I I saw a a story this morning, which is kind of... There's a lot of parallels to be drawn here, right? So there's a story that came out this morning about Gary Neville, the former England footballer. Now he's turned... I mean, he does commentating, right, for football. But now, I would say, a a, a greater part of his working life is spent as a Labour member, you know, card-carrying member of the Labour Party... And a political activist. He speaks out about social issues. And anyway, so he, in turn, drew a parallel, um, according to a few news sites. You know, I'm not a football guy, really. But uh, apparently somewhere in his coverage, he drew a parallel between the Qatari stadium of the World Cup 
and the immigrants that worked on it and the poor working conditions. And then the strikes that are happening here, right, across rail and the health service. And and he's right to he's right to draw that parallel between the two of them, because there you had workers lured in under false pretenses, right? Made to work in awful conditions. Some of them fucking died, right? It's so dark. It's like, you know, they were lured in in this this sort of this shiny, cash-rich state, just dripping with oil dollars, just fucking shiny buildings and oil billionaires driving around in golden Bentleys and, you know, trillion-dollar crude oil deals or gas deals or whatever, I don't know. Whatever it is that Qatar produces, there's a lot of it. And it's enough to buy fucking hosting rights of the World Fucking Cup, right? So it's a cash-rich state, a petrochemical state. And yet, 6,000 dead migrant workers. 6,000! That is a fucking 9-11 of human rights or some shit. Like, can you imagine the wars that would be waded? If 6,000 Americans died while constructing a stadium somewhere, it's so balmy. 6,000 people brought in like, yeah, come and work on this exciting building project. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, it's, sounds amazing. Oh, I love football. I love the countries coming together, the flags, the excitement. God, if I could just if I could just play a small role in something so I don't know. I, I would just be honoured. Well, yeah, sure. I mean, you know, this this is it's an exciting project. I, I see that you're excited. There is just the small matter of of, of the what? Of um of the bill. What? Wait, a bill? But like you're you're paying me to work for you, surely? Well, yeah, I mean, but there's um there's uh, one thousand two hundred dollars in recruitment fees that you have to pay to work for. Well, I mean, that's, that sounds a bit, it's a bit, it's a bit ass to mouth, isn't it? But, but, but fine. Okay, it's fine. It's for the World Cup. It's for international unity and the excitement and the flags. Okay, fine, fine. As a one-off, I will pay $1,200 in recruitment. That's what they did. Like They had to pay money to be hired into this thing. Anyway, then, the you know, the Qatari guys are like, oh, okay, great, great. And then, you know, you might have questions. You might be like, OK, well, listen, about the heat, right? I, I assume that because Qatar has such intense summer heat, we'll have, you know, what like regular breaks and will we have shade constructed for the areas that, you know, we're working on? There'll be lots of free water and stuff. You're going to take care of us. No. <laughs> well, which part? Which part are you saying no to? Um, no to all of it. Um, just all no's. Just, just fucking omni no. <laughs> but I'll fucking die. You have to look after. I mean, we're working for you, right? You have to look after us. I don't, I don't want to die. Well, you'll have, you'll have water in your apartment. Is is where you'll have water. What, like a like a a tap in the fridge? No, no, like all over your electricity cabinet. So you can fuck. Like I'm not even taking the busy. Like they literally, they brought in these migrant, migrant workers, right? They made them work for hours in the blistering sun. One guy's flat got flooded 
And the power, like the current, hit the water and fried him like an American serial killer in the 70s or some shit. Just awful working conditions. 6,000 dead. And they think the majority of them, like they, they still don't even know what the cause of death is for like the majority of them. But they think that most of them died from the heat and then like like heart related issues, something along those lines. Anyway, look, let's let's not get too far off topic here. So Gary Neville drew a parallel with this sort of abuse of workers with the strikes in the UK. And he was basically saying this is what happens if you don't unionize. You know, the rich and powerful take advantage. And people suffer. And so then, you know, just to bring it back to my original point, with politicians and journalists, you know, demonizing nurses as lazy or money grabbing. And then, you know, the press going after Neville, right? <laughs> Off the back of that. This is the this is the article that they came out this morning. They were like, oh, well, he owns a hotel or something, right? In the sun this morning. He owns this hotel. And his own staff complain about working conditions. So, ha! Like, that was, that's, that's the piece that they came out with this morning, right? And it is, as I say, so hilariously transparent. Because, like, it's, it's, it's playground bickering portraying journalism is what it is. Like, it's, it's possible to appraise Gary Neville on his investments. It absolutely is. On his commitment to keeping a happy, healthy workforce at, you know, at whatever restaurant or hospitality ventures he's exploring financially. That is fine to do. Maybe he does need to look at how he compensates his staff in those investments. Or, or maybe he needs to look at it like hiring more might be a good idea. So they're not overworked. So they do have staff to fill in for gaps or, or whatever. But unless he's murdered 6,000 fucking Indians and Nepalese immigrants. Or like, unless, unless he's running the NHS and British Railways into the ground. I'm not sure it's really what should be on the front page of the people's paper. To be honest with you. Cheers. Like, are we supposed to believe that the sun suddenly care about workers' rights now? Is that, is that what we're supposed to believe? Like, last week, I don't have to tell you guys because you're all, you know, very aware of what goes on in the media. But I'm sure you, you remember that last week they were portraying Mick Lynch, who heads up the rail union. Can't remember which one now off the top because I'm not that aware, clearly. Last week, they were portraying Mick Lynch as Mad Mick. <laughs> You've lost it, Mick, they said, sprawled across like front page splash, belittling him, uh, trivialising his fight, um, printing pieces by Rishi Sunak suggesting that Mick Lynch was on a class war tip or some shit. Like, do we really think the esteemed and highly regarded journalists at The Sun... Were what? Like they were looking out for instances of employment right abuse, like and, and then just happened across a hotel that Neville was an investment partner in. Is that what we think happened here? Like they were they were doing they were busy researching employment's rights abuses and his name just cropped up. No, <laughs> of course, that's not what happened. Or, you know, the alternative is. Slap my mic there for a minute. Sorry. 
if you got a pop in the ears. Or do we think what actually happened was that Neville spoke out in support of rail workers and nurses and the son dutifully fellating Tories, just, you know, gently sucking them off at every turn. <laughs> just gently massaging the testicles of conservative MPs who they no doubt went to school with and university with. Do we think they just, you know, the sun just snapped into attack formation? You know, they saw Neville backing up the unions and they were like, right, he's trying to stick up for working people. How can we dismantle him? How can we fuck him up? How can we make him look stupid? Which do you think happened there? Do you think the sun care about working people and standing up for the employment rights of hospitality workers who happen to work for Gary Neville-ish, sort of, in a kind of roundabout way? Remember, he's only an investor. He's not fucking running the hotel. Or do you think they, you know, somebody in number 10 or in CCHQ when he's, we don't like what he's doing. Can you fuck him over, please? With a secret schoolboy handshake thrown in. Which do you think is more likely? And as I say, it's, it's so laughably transparent, isn't it? Like, it's so obvious what it is. It's a hit piece to, to warn him off. Don't speak out again, Gary, or this is what you've got coming to you. Like, it's that kind of thing. But people will fall for it. People will be reading, you know, the paper because they want a distraction, right? The ninth consecutive interest rate rise for some people is a bit boring. <laughs> they want a distraction from that shit. So it's all a bit meh for them. They want a bit of gotcha journalism like this. They want to see people being called a hypocrite or a champagne socialist. It's all a bit meh when they see interest rates have gone up by 0.5%. When they hear that sort of shit. They turn and they look each other in the greasy spoon cafe that they're reading this shit in and they're like, what does that even mean, Jamie? What does that even mean? 0.5%? That's, oh, that's fuck all, surely. Why, why are they even bother mentioning it? And then Jamie turns around like, a, uh, because it's that, that 0.5%, that's going to cost you another £175 a month, Steve. What the fuck? How? No, that, that can't be. It's such a paltry number. 0.5%? How can that translate to £175 a month? I need a distraction. Oh, good. Look, Gary Neville's been caught out-ish, kind of, in my trivialising, minimalist, incredibly simpleton brain. No, that is all too boring for sun readers. Give me a nice juicy hit piece instead. Give me someone I can look down on, scoff at. It's like, you know, oh, he says he says he's all about workers' rights, but look at his own hotel. It says here that they only refill the staff vending machine once every 10 days. Oh, typical, typical lefty, typical champagne socialist. I, I bet his champagne gets refilled every day, doesn't it? I bet, I bet he doesn't give them a pay rise and then he takes a fat dividend, works them to the point of cardiac arrest and then sends them off to A&E, thus overflowing it and then has the gall to go on TV talking shit about other people's employment rights abuses and then questioning why A&Es are so understaffed. I bet that's what happens, Jamie. I bet that's all this is. And then, you know, Jamie will turn around again and be like, I mean, look, it, 
it says here he's just an investor. Like, he, he doesn't run the hotel, Steve. He, like, he's, he just put money into it. Like, he's not the fucking general manager. <laughs> oh, never mind that. I just like... I just like this cheap gotcha journalism. Oh, gets me hard. Like, you know... Like, I don't know if this hotel is a, a shit place to work or not, for, you know, for the record. It probably is. You know, I'm not going <laughs> to... I'm not going to cut him too much. Say. Like, I used to work in hospitality in, in, in a bunch of different places. I worked in a bowling alley, a few bars, a restaurant, very briefly. Um, and it was pretty standard practice that people wouldn't get paid extra for staying on a few hours. You know, it'd be the standard hourly rate, which is different to the nurse's situation because I think they're just on salary, right? But, like, most of these places are, are struggling to make money and, and they're always shit places to work, aren't they? You know? They're shit places to work that somehow survive <laughs> because the staff become this sort of gallows humour family. is sort of, you know, plan B social club that all like to kind of hang out and chat together and and then they you know they endure the exhaustion and the shit pay and the thankless tasks and rude customers that they're given and they endure it by staying after closing and getting hammered and invariably fucking each other like that's what makes it kind of all right and passable but they're shit jobs <laughs> so i don't know like the idea that neville's hotel is outrageously different or any worse to any other shitty hotel is kind of stupid you know it's kind of that's what reeks of gotcha journalism in here is the idea that it should be like a better place to work is it it's a hotel it's like i don't know no disrespect to you by the way if you're if you're a dear listener and you work in a hotel i hope you love it it just you know it wasn't for me I don't know. So anyway, look. The Sun ran this piece this morning. And as I say, right, the, the only source I can find in this article, right, bear in mind, I know it's the Sun. They don't, you know, they're not, <laughs> they're not the most highly regarded newspaper, are they? I mean, they do run a lot of shit, but you would think they would at least have a bash at finding a source, Right. You know, come on, lads. I shouldn't have to tell you this. You should have something there to back up the story. Just fucking hack a phone or something. But the only source I can find is glassdoor.co.uk, which they have included screenshots of. That is the nearest that they've got to sort of backing up this idea that it's a terrible place to work. And look, I used to work in HR. You know, I've been I've been around the block, guys. All right. I've worked in hospitality. I've worked in HR. Um, Glassdoor is an OK site. You know, if you want to uh, if you want to get an idea of what it's like to work in a specific place. You know, a, a former employee's review, what it was like to work in Vodafone's head office or wherever. It's OK. But anyone can set up an account on Glassdoor and write some shit. So the idea that it's this 100% fact-checked, double-sourced piece of information from which anyone should start writing a piece from a national newspaper is kind of fucking laughable. It's like... I don't know. If the, if the Sun are going to start looking at Glassdoor as a reliable source 
of information. It's like it's kind of like you could look at the sun's glass door reviews. <laughs> like, look at what it's like to work at the sun. So here's some I prepared earlier. This is what glassdoor.co.uk says that it is like to work at the sun. And we know it must be 100% accurate because the sun are citing Glassdoor as one of their own sources for their <laughs> Gary Neville piece. So by proxy, you know, it's a sort of tacit admission that all of this shit that I'm about to tell you is true. This is what it is like to work at the sun. Terrible place to work for anyone wanting to take care of their mental health or make any career progression. <laughs> so we're starting strong. It's a terrible place to work for anyone wanting to take care of their mental health. I, I could imagine that. Or make any career progression. Okay, well, that's interesting. Let's see what the next one says. Sexist workplace. Okay, good, right? Wonderful. Absolutely shocking. Never would have guessed that the sun... The former home and celebrator of page three would have ever been a sexist workplace. Uh, here's, here's another good one. OK. Poor leadership. Rife with nepotism. Lad banter gets you further than doing the job well. Well, that is a shocker. <laughs> Rife with nepotism. Terrible place to work for anyone that wants to make any career progression. I don't know about you guys. I'm finding it hard to reconcile that review with the Sun's political editor, Harry Cole, who was privately educated and served as a treasurer at the University of Edinburgh's Conservative Association, who worked at uh, Guido Fawkes and would no doubt exhaust his final modicums of strength as his clogged arteries gave out. Final fist clench. He would exhaust those final moments doing the bidding of his privileged friends with whom he went to school and university. I can't reconcile such a highly regarded journalist <laughs> with this idea that it is a sexist, nepotistic fucking nightmare to work there. That is just astonishing. But it's on Glassdoor, so it has to be 100% accurate, I assume, by the precedent that the sun are setting today. <laughs> Anyway, look, let's go back to the point. Right. Nurses is what we were originally talking about. Right. Nurses, the strikes. So. We had nurses, doctors, teachers. You know, an array of public sector uh, workers all ignored. That was what we were getting at. The first point on uh, on the package of measures that successive Tory governments have rolled out to address some of the issues that people have been very politely trying to make them aware of and ringing various alarm bells for a long time. Nurses, doctors, teachers, all ignored. And it's, you know, it's politicians and it's their mates in the mail and the sun and the telegraph doing the ignoring of these issues that were raised. And we've had them demonised as lazy and money grabbing because that's a simple, easy, childlike story to tell people. And that's in exactly the same defensive, transparent manner as we're now seeing with this Neville's like hotel story. Right. So that was two out of three of the approaches in the package of measures that they rolled out. And then finally, in terms of pressures on nurses and doctors and so on, 
we have the kerosene on the fire, which is, as I said originally, cutting off the alternative staff supply in the context of Brexit, switching off that tap. And all of this is now, you know, erupting in the form of industrial action because people's lives have got shitter and shitter. And I know when I go off on these rants, like you're probably thinking it's all, you know, the left by numbers, right? Sort of, you know, bleeding heart socialism. Like I'm just building up to campaign for everyone to get a pay rise because 12 years of cutting away at shit now needs a reset, right? And that a, you know, a 19% hike isn't even really a pay rise because you're just replacing the money that they should have been getting as annual increases if you had run the shit effectively. But this is where the curveball hits, dear listeners. This is not so much left by numbers. Because honestly, the more I read about economics, right, the more I understand or at least the more I think I understand why we don't just, you know, dream up another five billion over here or another seven billion over there, right? You know, throw it, give these guys a pay rise, give those guys a pay rise or adequately fund this thing. Like, I don't envy anyone that's working at the Bank of England right now or the Federal Reserve over in the US. Like, things are going to get so ugly from the shit that I've read, like imagine, imagine how, like having to, um, imagine having to juggle this, right? Let me break it down for you, right? On the one hand, you've got these very reasonable, very compassionate requests for, you know, a living wage, for hikes in the minimum wage, and for greater investment in things like, you know, the NHS and getting rid of tuition fees and all that. Reasonable. All of these things, perfectly reasonable, very compassionate. But then put your heart to the side for a second and put your just, you know, cold, hard, logical, fiscal head on. (laughs) And think just for a second about how printing the money for all of that further devalues your currency, right? So pounds are worth less. So what does that mean on a domestic level? That means people start to move their savings out of cash and bonds and into tangible stores of value like property. So it's like your granddad used to have, let's say, 50 grand of his pension in bonds. Super, super quick explanation of what bonds are, right? So you take out a bond, you buy bonds a 10-year bond and it's like a reflection of your uh what's the word um confidence in the uk economy and every year of those 10 years you get a nice little return back the government pay you money because you lent them your pounds or whatever and then at the end of the 10 years you get your money back so it's like you've loaned them some money and you get all of the money back but you also make a little interest return on it every year and the uk government have never not paid out on these bonds But the interest rate that you make on them has slowly depleted. So they're not particularly valuable investments. And if your money is going to be worth less and less in the next 10 years, why would you put it into something like a bond? So your granddad used to have 50 grand in bonds, safe, reliable bonds. These days, the economy looks unutterably fucked. And he doesn't know what the UK is going to look like in 10 years. 
And every time he looks at the value of sterling, it's going down and down. And people are talking about parity with the US dollar. You know, he's seen everyone from Truss and Kwartang to Johnson and Dido Harding just funnel billions around like a fucking banana republic. And he's concluded... <laughs> Not me, guys. Don't go throwing around accusations of bias at me. <laughs> like, this isn't balance, eh? What? Okay, first off, go fuck yourself. This is a podcast, not a fucking Koonsberg segment, all right? And second, I'm not speaking as me, okay? I'm speaking as though your imaginary granddad <laughs> is saying this. It's someone's imaginary granddad that's being biased here. So take it out with him, not me, all right? <laughs> so he's decided... Quick sip. Cheers. He's decided, not outrageously, that the corruption he's witnessed over the last five years, say, the fuckery that was bestowed upon us by all the, you know, the Tory ultras, no doubt cheered on by Tufton Street, that that was not behaviour necessarily conducive with a long-term credible and democratic economy right and so he's pulled his money out of the sterling market out of the bonds and plowed it into that other traditionally robust long-term investment market property right you still with me safe as houses and all that so what happens then let's fucking talk about it you have a shit ton of pensioners pulling out chunks of cash from their life savings, selling off bonds or whatever. Like they don't want it sitting, rotting in a current account. They want it generating money. So they buy a second home. Or they take a stake in their kids' new family house or whatever. They, they buy one bed flats and rent them out. Buy to let investors. They grab investment properties in new builds in Canary Wharf. So... So printing all that money serves as the starting point for a significantly worse flare-up of the housing crisis. Okay? You see where I'm going with this? So then what do they do? What should they have done, Aid? Well, it, they should have built some fucking houses. Oh, but, but what did they do, Aid? Well, they wholesale failed at house building. Didn't they? They, they held back. They, uh... They frothed about the green belt. And so too few houses were built to synthesize demand. Not enough houses. Too many buyers. And so prices went up again and again. And so then traditional Tory voters who owned a, you know, three bed bungalow in Gerard's Cross were fucking ecstatic. Just super related because they were making a shit ton of money. On this house that they had bought <laughs> 10 years earlier for 100 grand was now worth 400 grand, 500 grand, you know? Like, I remember doing a TikTok about this a while ago. Like, like how you would try to explain the housing crisis, you know, to your dad. It's like, listen, dad, do you understand that you are you are the beneficiary of the housing crisis? Do you understand that? You know, and he'd be like, oh, what are you talking about? It's not, no, I'm not a beneficiary. I just, uh, you know, it's a, your, your mother and me, your mother and me, we invested shrewdly. That's what happened. Uh, we invested shrewdly. We bought this place, did a, we put a conservatory on the back and uh, with all that shrewd investment, it paid off. Like that's his attitude to it. 
your dad. And then you're like, well, no, hang on a second. Like, you're not, <laughs> you're not fucking Wolf of Wall Street, you daft cunt. Like, here's what happened, Pops. All right. You bought a house at a time when 100% mortgages still existed. And when houses were three times your salary. And then successive governments failed to build the housing that would match the population growth. Which caused a supply and demand crunch. And now the same £200,000 equity you've got sat in your house is the same two hundred grand i am expected to front when I want to get on the fucking ladder. <laughs> and then there'd, there'd just be like, you know, an awkward three-second silence. And then he'd be like, no, 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 I, I definitely think that it's uh, invested wisely. I'm, I'm sure that's what it is. Like, it's such a flattering tale that they tell themselves. It's not generational equity theft that's happened. <laughs> it's just that he's incredibly shrewd. He's just this, you know, calm, cool-headed investor who surveyed his options and various markets. And, and he made the right call, guys. That's what happened. I mean, there is there is no evidence of that being his personality anywhere else in his life. <laughs> like, like he's not calm or collected or investigative or analytical or even particularly interested in investment <laughs> anywhere else in his life. But honestly, wheel out the idea that he might be the accidental boomery beneficiary of the housing crisis and then he snaps right into character like <laughs> action like suddenly he's fucking gordon gecko or something <laughs> and the thing that really stinks about it is then then they have the gall to phone you up and say shit like oh i've only gone and bought a beach house in marbs aid eh? <laughs> what am i like you'll have to come visit and it's only then you know you break it down you're like you know pretty soon our mortgage is going to double OK, and the rental market is going to get so bad, we are going to have to come back and live with you. Do you understand that? Like me, the wife, two kids. So get ready for some fucking chaos, you dappy old bastard. <laughs> like, like, I'm going to film that shit. When it happens to us. When all the, um, you know, the shit talking about avocados and Netflix subscriptions, when all of that shit-talking leaves the room, when the curtain comes down, and we have to rock up <laughs> on the doorstep, like, yeah, this is, this is, this is it now. Like, there is literally nothing we can do, Dad. Like, we, we live with you now. Like, that's, <laughs> I suppose it's a bit like the nurses, you know, you can continue to mock and dismiss, disparage and ignore, you know, people when, when they're trying to tell you there's a problem. But eventually that, that problem is going to come knocking on your door, right? In this case, for a lot of people, quite literally. <laughs> it's like, cast your mind back, you know, 10 years. Um, rents are getting unmanageable, guys. Yeah, maybe you should cut back on your poached eggs and avocados, lad. Right, yeah, I mean, but it's like, it's two thirds of my salary is going on my rent, right? Yeah, not, not my problem, son. Not my problem, okay? Thanks, bye. Like that, that was the attitude 10 years ago. You know, now we flash forward, what, 18 months from here? <laughs> knock, knock. It's like, hey, hey, dad, yeah, it's me. Um, you remember how you told me to cut back on the avocados? Because uh, some bitch in the Telegraph told you, like, my generation are all entitled snowflake millennials who want it handed to them on a plate. Uh, well, um, yeah, v uh, vaguely, yeah. Right, well, that was hugely unhelpful 
and now everything's gotten worse and something that could have been fixed with a fucking equity release or a downsizing and I don't know, pre-probate divvying up <laughs> has now exploded into no other options other than living with you. <laughs> that is where that conversation is going to end, I fear. Anyway, back back to the Bank of England and the Fed, right? So, so quantitative easing, right? Printing money happens. The crisis worsens for housing, right? And so then no one can afford a house, right? So then they had to tank interest rates to next to nothing, which lasted for like a decade, okay? Are you still with me on all of this, right? Printing money, uh, served as a catalyst to the housing crisis and then so nobody could afford to get onto the ladder because so many other people were buying into investment properties because bonds and cash were worthless and so in order to allow people to get onto the ladder they tanked the interest rates so you had cheap mortgages for 10 years and that just allowed a few million families to get on the ladder but with these massive loans it's like two, 290 grand. Are you, are you sure I can afford this? Yeah, it's fine. It's like 2.4%. It's fine. Like you can, you can handle it. You're okay. So people like me, if I'm being really candid about this now, you know, people like us, we could only really afford these loans based on the affordability checks of a 2.9% fixed or whatever. But then this, you know, this housing shortage then pushed rents up and you had the oldies buying their buy-to-lets and so on. And then you've had gas and electricity prices starting spiking and, you know, governments just blasting holes in their own economies, whether it's through, you know, track and trace apps or furlough or government stimulus checks. Or, you know, basically to steady the ship and make their economies seem responsible. But the output of that is they have now weakened the, the currency, right? So their imports are more expensive, which pushes the cost of everything up, most notably, you know, gas, but also oil and all the fucking plastic nonsense that we bring in from China and Taiwan and so on. Like, And so then, like, because the inflation is so high, then they raise interest rates to bring more money into the treasuries, but also, in theory, to bring down inflation. Uh, inflation. And everyone's like, don't do that. You do, like, I'm like screaming at them, like, don't do that because people are going to lose their homes. But meanwhile, you're thinking if we don't make borrowing more expensive and harder to come by and, and thus make the currency look strong, then it will be weak and the inflation will get worse and worse. Like, it's just such a shit job and balancing act. Like, imagine if that was your job in the Bank of England or the Fed. And, you know, they're stuck between looking careless and heartless, you know, versus the, you know, the demands for public sector pay increases. You know, you've got people screaming at you like they're nurses. They deserve more money. And of course they do. But you're stuck between that and thinking, how much more will investors take? You know, like how much more will international investors take in terms of just you know, us printing money. Like how long before they abandon dollars and sterling or do another run on bonds and the pension market collapses? You know, how much long, how much more will it take 
if you did just print out 100 billion and flood it into the public sector, would international investors just go, this looks like a fucking basket case. I'm I'm out. (laughs) You know, I don't know if I'm babbling now or not, but hopefully you can see my point there. It's not actually as black and white and good and evil as you might think when we're talking about dishing out 5% or 19% pay increases. And that doesn't necessarily mean you don't think they're worth this or that you're ideologically subscribed to the end of the public sector. I'm just saying you have to factor in a lot of different things here. In many ways, the recession and possibly depression that we're about to nosedive into because so few people are getting mortgages approved now, it's almost certain there will be a housing crash in the next six months. And what will that do to the wider economy? Who knows? But if there is a full on like recession or depression or whatever, I would argue it's the sort of thing like it should have happened in 2009. But we didn't let it happen there because we tanked the interest rates to allow people to continue buying it. Like all of this shit, all of this tumult should have happened in 2009. But we've just been kicking the can down the road the entire time. Guys, that's it. I need to wrap this one up here. Sorry to leave you on such a downer. Um, and I've not even got any prank calls to uh, to uplift the, uh, the the mood with this week. So uh, you just have to hold on tight for that one. I've, I've got one. There is one like in my midst, uh, but I've not quite got it ready yet. So just uh, hang tight for that. I'll pop it on next week's episode. Um, big shout out to the Patreons once again. Thank you for your continued, to support, uh, continued support. Sorry, I can't speak today. Um, of the show. I'm really having a lot of fun with it and I'm definitely looking forward to our live event that we're doing on Friday the 10th of February in Soho. That's me, Supertansky, Jolly on Rubenstein, Danny fucking Price, Ashley Hayden, Alexandra Haddow and Denise Headley um, all appearing on stage. It's a night of stand-up. It's a night of panel and discussion. Um, super psyched about that. Oh, and then there's an after party also. Uh, I regret to tell you, it is fucking sold out. But um, keep your eye on my Patreon for more information about any sort of returns and resale and, you know, seat wavy kind of stuff. Uh, I promise to put it out there first. Um, also, final note from me, if you're not following me on Instagram uh, and YouTube and all the rest of it, do give me a search and please do say hello as well. Like if you're enjoying the podcast, but you're not in a position to support it on Patreon, that is fine. Like I always say, it's, you know, it's a weird time, man. I'm sat here shitting my tits every week about the cost of living crisis, about what it's going to do to our house. Um, so it would be a bit remiss of me to then be like, why can't you jump on my Patreon and send me money? Like, I understand times are tight. Uh, all I would say is just send me a tweet. Tell me if you're enjoying the show, if you're finding it insightful, if you're enjoying the solo ones or if you're rather the guested ones, uh, or if there's a particular part within the podcast that you've found has really resonated with you. Um, that is the biggest kick for me. It really motivates me to continue making this sort of stuff. Um, Until next time, take care of yourselves. I'm out. Bye.